Listen, when you pray, your will be done, you are deliberately rejecting Satan's will for your life, and you are also denying the will of others when what they want conflicts with the clear, revealed will of God in Scripture. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Can you identify His leading hand? Consider for a moment the alternative. What about Satan? Does he have a motive and desire to influence your life? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part five of a series titled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. When you examine the six petitions that Jesus taught his followers to pray, it soon becomes clear that Satan does indeed have a plan for your life, for your complete destruction and the full rejection of God and of his truth. Add that to the daily contention with the wills of others, and that makes for a continual set of conflicts and a corresponding and, might I add, necessary dependence on God and His clear, revealed will in Scripture. How should you pray, and by whose means will you combat these ill wills? Keep all that in mind as we join Tom now on The Word Unleashed. Years ago I read, and perhaps you have heard or read the amazing story of John and Betty Stamm. In 1934, they went to war-ravaged China to serve as missionaries there. But within two weeks of their arrival in China, they were placed under house arrest and under heavy guard by communist soldiers. John Stamm wrote in response to that his mission's headquarters and relayed to them the demand of his captors. It was for a $20,000 ransom. He closed his letter with these words, The Lord bless you and guide you, and as for us, may God be glorified, whether by life or by death. wasn't too long after that. One morning, Betty was bathing their little daughter there in their home where they were under house arrest. Suddenly, soldiers burst into their home. John and Betty were stripped to their undergarments. They were paraded down the street and course, as you can imagine, a crowd began to gather. And once the crowd had come together, a soldier read the death sentence that had been passed against the Stams. Betty watched as John was beheaded, and then she was beheaded herself. Years before that, Betty Stam had written these words in her journal. She said, Lord, I give up all my own plans and purposes all my own desires and hopes, and accept your will for my life. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to you to be yours forever. Use me as you will. Send me where you will. And work out your whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. That's what Christ meant when he taught us to pray, your will be done. It's that third petition that we come to in our study today. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our journey through the Lord's Prayer. 
Matthew chapter 6, and let's read together the words we just sang. Verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We are in the middle of a careful study of the six petitions that make up this model prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. We have seen that each of the petitions really gives us a separate category of prayer. We've noted that the first three petitions remind us that even prayer is not primarily about us. In fact, the first three categories we're told here into which our prayers should fall have nothing to do with our needs or our desires. They are instead all about God. We are to pray for the glory of God. Hallowed be your name. That word hallowed simply means, God, may your name be set apart, may it be treated as holy. God, may you glorify your person and everything by which you have made yourself known. That's what we're praying. Secondly, we're to pray for the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come. As we learned last week, when we pray that, your kingdom come, we are praying both for the present aspect of God's kingdom, the spiritual kingdom over which Christ rules, as well as the future kingdom of Christ. So we are praying, when we say your kingdom come, we are praying that heart by heart, the spiritual reign of Christ would be extended, that he would save other sinners and transfer them from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of his beloved son. Your kingdom advance. We're also praying that for those of us who already know Jesus Christ, over whom he already reigns, that his reign at a practical level would be extended in our own hearts. That he would, as it were, ransack the darkest corners of our souls and that every part of our hearts would come under his sovereign reign, under his rule, under his authority. Lord, let your kingdom advance in my own heart. When we say your kingdom come, we're also praying about the future, literal, physical reign of Jesus Christ. We're saying, God, may you allow quickly the literal reign of Christ on this earth to come. May the day soon come when Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. We come to the third petition that our Lord teaches us to pray. It's there in verse 10. Look at it with me. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let me first of all note for you that Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the only other place in the New Testament where the Lord's Prayer is recorded, does not include this third petition. And I think the reason for that is because, in a sense, this third petition is contained in the previous petition. 
Because when the kingdom of God comes, when it is literally established on the earth, then the will of God will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the fact that when he preached the Sermon on the Mount, several months before Luke's version, he included this third petition means that it does, in fact, stand alone on its own. And it does summarize a crucial part of our prayers. We are not only to pray for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God, we are also to pray for the will of God. Now, when we pray this request, when we say, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are, in fact, praying that God would affect or produce three great spiritual results. When you say, your will be done, you're saying, God, I want you to produce these three spiritual results. First of all, the first spiritual result for which we pray in this request is for deliberate rejection of all other wills. Deliberate rejection of all other wills. Now, before we go any further, let me make sure you know what the will is. The will is that faculty of the soul that makes choices. I agree with Jonathan Edwards, although there's been a lot of debate about this. I agree with Edwards, who defined the will as simply the mind choosing. In other words, there's not a separate compartment of your soul that if you could somehow dissect your your true being, there would be this separate compartment called your will. The will is simply the mind in action making choices and decisions. What this means practically is that every intelligent being has a will. That is because they have a mind and they make decisions with that mind. To pray God... Your will be done means we want your mind to choose and not our own and not others. In other words, to say your will be done means that we must deliberately reject what every other intelligent being in the universe wills and want instead only what God wills. Now, I'm not sure if you're even aware of this, but there are in fact several different wills seeking to control your life. First of all, there's the will of Satan. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.26, because there Paul says that there are some people who are held captive by Satan to do his will. Now, maybe you've never thought about this before, but Satan has a will for your life. Satan has a will for your life. And it's the same for each of us. What does Satan want for you? What is his will for your life? Well, his will for your life is that you would reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's made that very clear, that that's his purpose, that's his will. That's why in 2 Corinthians 4, we're told he blinds the minds of unbelievers so that the glory of the gospel won't be clear and shine unto them. When Jesus tells the parable of the soils, you remember representing human hearts, he said when there's a hard heart and that hard heart hears the gospel, the seed of the gospel falls on that heart and Satan comes and snatches it away because he doesn't want you to accept the gospel. So maybe you've heard the gospel many times before, you know the truth, but you've had a hard heart. 
Each time Satan has come and snatched that seed away from your heart before it takes root, something distracts you, something in the service, something else that's going on in your life, you leave and you forget everything you heard, that's the work of Satan. Because he wants you to reject the gospel. He raises up false teachers and even false Christians in the church. He's the one who sows the tares, according to Jesus' parable. Why? Because he wants you to reject the gospel. And he wants every one of us to reject the gospel. But for those of us who have already accepted the gospel, those of us who are already followers of Jesus Christ, he still has a will for your life. And that will is to get you to sin as frequently as he possibly can. To reject the rule of God as he has rejected the rule of God. Over and over again, the scripture tells us that Satan is behind temptation. Now don't misunderstand. Our own hearts, our flesh, have fallen desires, James 1 says. But what happens is Satan puts an external temptation in our way that causes our internal desires to respond. You've experienced this. You're minding your own business, doing your work, doing something, and suddenly an external temptation comes and your own sinful heart is drawn out to that temptation. That's the work of Satan. Satan has created a world system, according to 1 John 2, verses 15 and 16, a world system intended to get you to sin as often as possible. That system is characterized by the lust of the flesh, the cravings of your body, the lust of the eyes, that is the desire to have and possess, and the boastful pride of life to be known as somebody important and to be known for what you've accomplished. This is the system Satan's put in place, and he desperately has a will that you would follow that. He wants you to embrace bad theology and false ideas. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians that Satan transforms himself into an angel of what? Light. He's behind all the bad theology that's out there. Because if he can't get you to reject the gospel, he wants to do everything you can, everything he can to get you to stumble and fall. Ultimately, he wants to destroy your faith. You remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Satan wanted to destroy Peter's faith, and he wants to destroy your faith as well and mine. That's Satan's will for your life. But Satan isn't the only one with a will for our lives. There's also the will of others, the people around us. The people around us often have a will for our lives. Sometimes their will for us is that we would do what's evil. They have a desire that we would do what they do to salve their own consciences, to make themselves feel better, to bring us down. This comes through pressure that we call peer pressure. What is peer pressure? It's simply the people around you exerting their influence to try to get you to want what they want and to, to do what they want you to do. And sometimes that's evil. Most of the time, that's the pressure that we feel. But sometimes the pressure that we feel comes from people who are fellow believers and who care about us and mean well. Their will comes to bear on our lives, whether it's the will of parents or spouses or children or co-workers or family. 
Because even people who love us and who love Christ can distract us from the will of God. Jesus encountered this problem. In fact, look at Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus predicts his death and his resurrection. And Peter, verse 22. Now remember, Peter is a true believer. Peter is a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet Peter, in response to what God's will for Jesus clearly is, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Listen, true, well-meaning believers can draw you off from the will of God by exerting their own will on you. By the way, this also happens through unbelieving family members. Turn over to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus came home to Capernaum, to the house there where he lived, where he established his ministry headquarters. This is Mark 3.20. And the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. The demands of ministry keep Jesus from actually eating When his own people, that is his own kinsmen, his own relations, heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he has lost his senses. Now, what's happening here is Jesus had four brothers. And those four brothers that are named for us in Mark 6 didn't believe in him during his earthly life and ministry, only after the resurrection. And here... Excuse me, they are genuinely concerned about Jesus. They think he's lost his mind. He's not taking care of himself. He's he's neglecting the needs of the body. He's taking himself way too seriously. We need to go and bring him back to Nazareth. Look at verse 31. And Mary came along. I don't think that was Mary's motive. Hers was genuine concern for her son. But Mary and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. The crowd said, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Verse 33, he said, who are my mothers and my brothers? And looking at his disciples around him, his followers, he said, behold, my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. But here you have... Jesus' unsaved, unbelieving family members trying to redirect him from God's will to their will for his life. Listen, when you pray, your will be done, you are deliberately rejecting Satan's will for your life, and you are also denying the will of others when what they want conflicts with the clear, revealed will of God in Scripture. But the greatest antagonist that we have to doing the will of God is not the will of Satan. It's not even the will of others. It's our own will. Our own will. Frankly, I think many Christians have have creatively reconstructed their own version of this third petition. Can we be honest and say that all too often our prayer is, God, my will be done on earth as your will is done in heaven. But when we came to Christ, it meant the death of ourselves 
and it meant the death of our will for our lives. Do you realize when you came to Christ, you gave up your will, to, your choosing what you want to do? Look at Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, here's the call to discipleship. Here's the call to follow Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, this is a call to be his disciple, to become his follower, to become a Christian, if you will. He must deny himself. That word deny means to repudiate, to disown. It means to repudiate all your own rights to self-rule, and instead you have to die and be willing to die. Notice, He must take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus here is calling for an utter rejection of our own will and our own way and a total commitment to obey and follow Christ, even if it means physical death, which, of course, is what the cross ultimately pictures. But notice the denial of our own will is not something that happens once. Notice what he says in verse 23. You must take up your cross, what? Daily. Daily. We have to remind ourselves that in Christ, our will for our own life has died, and we have to follow Him, whatever it brings. To be able to pray, your will be done, means that we must pray for a deliberate rejection of every will but God's. But there's a second reality that we're praying for when we pray this prayer, not only are we praying for a deliberate rejection of every other will, but we are praying for an unconditional acceptance of God's sovereign will. An unconditional acceptance of God's sovereign will. Now, when Scripture speaks of God's will, and there are a couple of different words that are used, but when it speaks of God's will, it is primarily referring to one of two biblical concepts. First of all, there is God's revealed will. God's revealed will, that is what is in this book. That's God's revealed will. Theologians call it God's will of precept or His will of command. It refers to God's will as it is laid out in the Bible, in God's commands and laws. Now understand, this is very important, God's will of precept or command can be disobeyed, and frankly, usually is. This is His will. This is what you ought to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. But it can be disregarded and disobeyed, even though it is His will. Now, we'll talk more about this first aspect of God's will in just a few minutes. But let me give you the second concept that Scripture refers to when it speaks of God's will. Not only God's revealed will, but secondly, God's sovereign will. Theologians call this God's will of decree. What He has decreed will actually happen. This is God's eternal, unchangeable, immutable plan. God's sovereign will cannot be disobeyed, it cannot be disregarded, it cannot be thwarted by any of His creatures in any way. This is the will of God that Paul refers to in the passage we read this morning in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. God works all things after the counsel of His will. 
God works all things after the counsel of His will. In defining this eternal decree of God, the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way, the decrees of God are His eternal purpose according to the counsel of His will, whereby for His own glory He has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. He has foreordained whatever comes to pass. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Tom will have part six for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, we'd like you to know that Tom has a new book out titled The God Who Hears, a book of pastoral prayers. It features 31 scripture readings and accompanying pastoral prayers. Tom's book is available for purchase right now online at thewordunleashed.org. As always, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory explaining God's truth.